Messiah, the Son of the living God. This proclamation of Peter given to Jesus after he asked, but who do you say that I am? This proclamation of Peter contains within it a whole lot of information. He is calling Jesus the Messiah, the Mashiach, the anointed one. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew people had anointed leaders, prophets and kings and judges who were anointed by God and anointed by the prophets to serve as the representatives of God in the world, to, to serve as the mouthpiece of God, to serve as God's king over Israel, to serve as God's prophet before the people and before the leader, before the king, to serve as God's judge. We have this anointing process, the, the Mashiach of the people of God, the Messiah. Jesus is proclaimed the high Messiah, the Mashiach, the expected one. But not just any old Messiah, not just any old anointed one, but the Son of the living God. A special proclamation, a, a special identification of His identity. The Son of the living God. Look at Jesus' response. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You didn't learn it from a human being. You didn't learn it from anybody here. You learned it from the Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of they cleaned it up a little bit in the NRSV. I prefer the older version. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I always wanted to say that in church, hell. <laughs> Methodists don't talk much about hell, do we? Well, here we go. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let's break that down. Peter. Until now, while he's been referenced as Peter many times in the gospel, he's not yet received his nickname. Now he's gotten his nickname, Petros. Petros, Petra, means rock. But in Aramaic, and we know this thanks to Paul's letter to the Galatians, in Aramaic, that's Kephas, Kepha. And it means, literally it means rock, boulder, or possibly pebble, but figuratively it means hard, stable, and dependable. So literally, rock or boulder or pebble, but figuratively hard, stable, and dependable. On this rock, you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. Church. Ecclesia. And ecclesia means out-called ones. Those who've been called out from the world to be my congregation, Jesus says. To be my people, Jesus says. To be my family, Jesus says. Ecclesia. Out-called ones. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
There are times when it feels like the gates of hell have been opened against the church, just taking a look at the disaster going on in Iraq and Syria, and it's obvious that there is much opposition and violence and rejection from certain elements in this world. And yet, even despite the oppression, even despite the attacks, even despite the evil murder of Christians in Syria and Iraq, they faithfully go forward, refusing to deny Jesus, refusing to deny their faith, instead setting up for Jesus. And many of them, men, women, children, even children as young as some of those that were up here during the children's time, have died for it. And yet the gates of hell will not prevail against the body of Christ, the ecclesia, the outcalled ones. Jesus isn't done. Jesus likes to really make sure that he is understood. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Huh? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Sitting in my office about an hour ago, Michelle was helpful. She showed me where my car key was. I had another set of keys here in my pocket. Probably more important, it's the church's keys. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> the keys to the kingdom. Not really. <laughs> what are these keys? These are my keys. It's the church keys. It's the parsonage keys. It's my keys to my house in Mesquite. It's, um, oh, there's a key to the church at Northgate. Huh? <laughs> 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 it's the key to my mom's house. Uh, yeah, these are, these are important keys. But these are not the keys that Jesus is talking about. Even the church keys. Here, Mark. Aha! Even the church keys aren't the keys that Jesus is talking about. What's he talking about? I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What does he mean? What does this mean? Well, a very long time ago, back during the pre-Reformation, during medieval times, we had a situation in the church the church took these words seriously. They understood themselves, they understood Peter and the successors of Peter, the bishops of Rome, to be truly in charge of the keys to heaven. We get our imagery of Peter standing at the pearly gates looking in the book of life to see if we're, our name is written there or as in modern versions of this, the computer screen or the laptop or iPad of life to see if our names are written there to let us go on into the kingdom of heaven through the pearly gates. We get our imagery of Peter at the pearly gates from this bit about him 
having the keys to the kingdom of heaven. But what does it really mean? Well, the church has long understood this as being the basis for its authority. The basis for its authority to forgive. Now, you have the commandment to forgive. A couple of chapters later in Matthew's Gospel, we have Jesus telling a fabulous story about a servant who owed the master over a billion dollars. And the master calls the servant in and says, pay me what you owe me. And the servant says, oh Lord, give me a chance, I will repay it. And there's no way he could repay that billion dollars, but he says, I will, I will repay it, just give me time. And the master, knowing that the servant can't repay it, instead forgives the debt, wipes the debt out. Then that servant goes out. And he sees another servant who owes him a paltry sum, $50. And he goes up to him and he grabs him by the neck and says, Pay me what you owe me! Oh, just give me time, the servant says. I will repay you. Just give me time and I will repay you. But the first servant has no patience and says, No, and he has him thrown into prison where he would be until he could repay the debt. Well, other servants of the master heard about this. And so they go and they tell the master the whole story. What happened? about how that first servant had been forgiven so much, refused to forgive a little. And so the master calls the servant in again and says, You wicked slave! I forgave you a billion, and you refused to forgive fifty? Your whole debt is heaped back on your head, and you will be thrown into prison until you can repay your debt. And then Jesus says, The same will happen to you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. We have scriptural commandments for us to forgive, for us to forgive others. But this here today, this passage about the keys of the kingdom and loosing on earth and binding on earth and being loosed in heaven and bound in heaven, is the authority of the church to forgive sin here and now, all sin. Well, that makes me uncomfortable. I mean, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I, I, don't, I don't deserve the right to be able to make that proclamation, to say in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. But, neither was Peter. And all he did was make a profession of Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you are Peter. On you I'll build a church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you have the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. He gave him this authority. He gives it to all those. Everyone. Not just those of us who wear the stole, but Everyone who professes the Messiah, who professes Jesus as Lord, who professes God's Son, the living God's Son, Jesus Christ. He gives this authority to all the members of the body of Christ.
to forgive sin. So we have the duty and the calling to forgive, and we have the authority to forgive. Well, in the Middle Ages, the church kind of hoarded this authority to itself. The hierarchy of the church, those who wore the stoles and the vestments, hoarded this authority to themselves so that by the time you get into the Middle Ages, they were, they were taking upon themselves the right and authority to say who would they, they would forgive and how they would forgive them, the limits of that forgiveness, and more especially, in order to get forgiven, you had to do something. You had to fork it over. Money. And the development of indulgences began. Where you would go to a priest or a bishop and you would give a sum of money. And if you gave that sum of money, you would get a piece of paper. First they were hand done. And then after the inventing of the printing press, they invented a printing version of it. I have one here. First United Methodist Church. To all whom these presents shall come, greetings. Be it known that, insert your name. Having donated, I'm cheap, $50 to the ministry of the church, is hereby granted this forgiveness of all sins that they have committed. Wow! Forgiveness like that? Hey, Gene. I think this might make a really good fundraiser, don't you? We could raise a lot of money this way. But I think I ought to up it from 50, let's say 500. I ought to zero there for you, okay? 500. Gene. All right? We do take credit cards, you know. Mike? How about you? 100? Let's see. John Heatherly, where are you? Wave your hand. All right, let's see. John. All right, now, you want to go with 50 or 100 or 150, 250, 500, 1,000? 1,000, 1,000? Thank you. Choir helping me. 1,000. 1,000. There we go. Okay, now who's next? After all, you get your sins forgiven. I see you there. $5? Five? You get your sins forgiven for this. We're laughing. They actually did this. But it wasn't no 50 or 5 or 500 or even 1,000. We're talking the equivalent of 50,000. And you would get a piece of paper, a parchment, signed by a bishop and stamped and sealed with his signet ring saying that your sins are forgiven. Pass, go, and collect eternity. Literally. So that when you died, you could take this piece of paper, place with you in your coffin, and when you get up to heaven, you just show them this piece of paper and you get in. Sounds silly to us, but they believed it. And they sold thousands of these things to fund St. Peter's Basilica and the Cathedral Notre Dame and other major construction projects. That was their form of capital campaigning. Forgiving your sins with a piece of paper. An indulgence. It resulted one of the, it was one of the most important things that resulted in the Protestant Reformation. 
Martin Luther, in his 95 Theses, he put on the door of the Wittenberg Church, included the selling of indulgences as one of those things that needed to be reformed. Martin Luther didn't want to wipe out the Catholic Church. He didn't want to found an independent church. He wanted to reform the church, to get rid of this perversion of the calling to forgive and the authority to forgive. And Protestants, out of fear of this kind of nonsense, out of fear of indulgences, have shied away from forgiveness, from the calling to forgive, from the calling to pronounce forgiveness for a very long time. And yet we must forgive. We have no right to not forgive. That story about the servant who was forgiven a billion, who refused to forgive 50, applies to us. We have to forgive. We, it's not a choice of to loose or bind. It's only the choice to loose. We have the authority to forgive, the responsibility to, get to forgive, the necessity to forgive. Because when we hold grudges, when we hold the sins of others against them, when we refuse to forgive, when we refuse to turn and offer the peace of Christ to others, when we refuse to give the forgiveness that we have received, when we refuse to loose the sins of others, we fail to be the body of Christ. We fail to be the people that Jesus has called us to be. We fail to share the love of God with others. We fail to love our neighbors as ourselves. When we refuse to forgive, we fail to be the people, the children, the family of God. We have a calling to forgive. We have the authority to forgive. The church, and by that I don't mean just me and Mark, all of us, every one of you, we all, as the priesthood of all believers, have the authority to forgive. And we're called to forgive. Oh, I don't want to forgive. You don't know what these people have done to me, Greg. You don't know the kind of horrible things that have happened to me. No, I don't. But I know what's been done to me. And I don't have the right to not forgive. So long as I wear the cross, so long as I wear the cross, I do not have the right to hold the sins of another against them. When Jesus, who died on the cross for me, forgave me every sin I ever committed or ever will commit. We, as the people of God, have a duty and a responsibility to forgive to be a people who express the love of God by forgiving, in forgiveness, through forgiveness for others. We are called to be a people of forgiveness. Well, well, what if they don't ask for forgiveness? I don't care. We are called to forgive. When we hold the sins of another against them, the only person we're hurting is ourselves. They've forgotten it. They've forgotten the sin they committed. They've forgotten the damage they've done to us, most likely. I've had situations where 
I have been dealing with sins that have been committed against me, and I've been mulling them over and struggling them over them for months and weeks and years, and, and I get tense and I get stressed about it, and they don't know anything. They're certainly not concerned about it. They don't even know they did it. And here I am tearing myself to pieces rather than forgiving. We are called to forgive, to loose the sins of others. We have the authority to do it. We have the calling to do it. That is how we are called to express the love of God, to love our neighbors as ourselves, by forgiving my sisters and brothers. Let's start a new school year by setting aside the past, by forgiving, and by going forward. In faith, step by step, walking through the stormy seas, exercising faith, faithing in Jesus, who gave it all for us, who gave himself for us, that we might never fear death, sin, or especially God the Father. Let's loose those sins and move forward in faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In your presence, listening to a sermon by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of the First United Methodist Church in Commerce, Texas, and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2014 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information and for other sermons by Dr. Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at First United Methodist Church, 1709 Highway 24, Commerce, Texas, 75428. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.